I've never yet been to jail. However, I've gotten a taste of it indirectly. More than 10 years ago, I was visiting my son here in the juvenile detention center. They had explained the visitation rules and it admitted me. We sat down at a table. Everything was going fine and dandy. But some 20 minutes long into the hour-long visitation, I had a call of nature and desperately needed a bathroom. This was not the kind of gentle call of nature, rather urgent, insistent, forceful, coming from deep within. If I had been in a car when this happened, I might have even thought about jumping out the moving car and finding the nearest tree. What could I do? I bent over, put my head down, pounded the table, prayed, Lord have mercy. Pleadings with the jailer brought no relief. I sat there, humiliated, fearing I was going to soil myself. And although I can laugh about this now, and I can even understand why my son was slightly amused at all of this, it, I think it gave me a taste of jail as a place where the rules regularly deny a human being a basic human need undermining human dignity all beneath the banner of rules and justice. Last week, Steve called our attention to the readings in Hebrews where it said, remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And today I'm trying to conjure for you and for me what it is like. And I ask you to recall your own humiliations as well. Not to revel in them or to scourge, or to scourge yourself, but to use them redemptively. And the question that I ask to you to ponder today is, how can I be a good steward of my humiliations? How can we make these terrible things into good, holy things? A hymn that we sing assures us that God will sanctify to us our deepest distress. How in the world can we do that? We can turn to Paul in the epistle reading today Paul shines forth an example of a good steward of his humiliations. Paul knew what it was like to be in jail. If you look at the letter's introduction, you note a striking distant difference. Most of Paul's letter began, Paul, an apostle. This letter begins, Paul, a prisoner. Paul had suffered the loss of dignity in prison, 
But amidst this indignity, he had found an amazing friend, a runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus did not despise Paul because of his situation, but came to be a servant, a helper to him. Paul elevates him further, saying he has become his own son or a brother. At one point, he even says, I am sending you, Onesimus, my heart. In the humiliation of jail, friendship, and intimacy grew into a loving bond. We can use our humiliations to grow in empathy. Weak and lowly, we become brothers and sisters with the weak and lowly. This loving bond, though wonderful, also presents Paul with a problem because he's also a brother in Christ to Philemon, the legal owner of Onesimus. Philemon must be rich. He owns the house where the church meets. And likely, Paul's preaching had led him to faith, and there is a sense in which Philemon owed Paul his life and soul. Can you begin to see the problem? Paul is pulled apart by his ties to each one. Does he send Onesimus back, knowing that legally Philemon could beat or even kill Onesimus? Paul's situation of betwixt and between recalls Mother Becca's image a few Sundays ago of the messy middle, and Isaiah's words about trampling the Sabbath. What would it be like if on a Sabbath to have an enslaved person sit next to a master, especially when the baptismal formula for the church had declared that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no male or female. Wouldn't this be rebuilding the wall that Christ had come to tear down? It would be a trampling of the Sabbath. I find Paul's response very powerful. He humbles himself before Philemon saying, I could command this of you, but I won't. Love is always offered, never forced. And as a prisoner, he begs to, uh, and as a father to Onesimus, he says, I plead to you on his behalf. And what he asks is also, I think, astonishing. Receive him as a brother in Christ. To receive him as Paul's own heart. How is Onesimus Paul's own heart? Because of brotherly love. 
and further because of Christ's love. All of us at our best have our being in the bond of free love. Our lives are so intertwined with God and with our neighbors, your heart becomes my heart and our hearts become one. If I had preached this sermon in the 1860s, I would have gotten in trouble for saying that the love of Christ calls for an end to slavery. Paul's intercession for Onesimus could be read as an intercession for all those enslaved to receive them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it would be very easy for us today to say, thank God we don't have slavery anymore, chattel slavery. And yes, indeed, we should be thankful of that. But condemning an old practice should not lead us to a self-satisfied self-righteousness. Indeed, if we look at our record on this, the Protestant Episcopal Church of the Confederate States of America deserves an F when it declared that the masters had a right, a God-given right, to the labor of the enslaved people in exchange for the preaching of the gospel. Perhaps even below an F when it declared that all baptized slaves needed first to say and affirm, I realize that the, my baptism will not erase my slavery or make me an equal. Worse than an F, maybe a zero, maybe as a professor, minus points. But my assignment in preaching today is not just to preach justice in the past but to ask you where you stand today. There are still divisions among us that cause us to be estranged from each other. I invite you to ask yourself, where do you see the new strangers, the new outcasts? Each of us will have our own specific answers to that. It might be the person who masked or the person who failed to mask, the person who, delivers, who differs politically from you, a liberal, a conservative. You may be on the receiving end of being discounted. Perhaps you are viewed as less than for being old, infirm, sick. How does that feel? And what can we do about it? And this brings us back to the question I had posed earlier. How can we use humiliations to move us all forward? Whether we're on the receiving end of the humiliations or the giving end or just observers of humiliations around us makes a big difference. To those on the receiving end, 
as a minister of the gospel, I declare you this good news. You are beloved. You are beloved of God. God lifts the humble and opposes the proud, as we hear in our collect today. To those on the giving end, I urge you to repent. To look on those who demean, who you would demean and realize that you are demeaning God's own children, God's own beloved. To the observers of humiliation, I urge you to be like Paul. Intercede on, on behalf of those humiliated, pointing a path to love and mutual respect. But in talking about humiliations, I need to walk a careful line. It would be wrong for you to hear in these words the claim that humiliations are justified because they lead to good results. No, 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 a thousand times no to that. I do not believe that God sends humiliations to us. They come from somewhere else, but not God. They're kind of like a poker hand you're dealt. Some bad cards you get, and you need to learn to play and win with them. How can we play and win with our humiliations? Simple answer, we can learn humility. The word humiliation is very close to our word humility. We are called to be humble as Christ is humble. And sometimes the concept of humili humility is that the view that we ought to think less of ourselves than we really are. But that's a misunderstanding. His correction is found in St. Bernard's definition of humility. He says, true humility is to see ourselves as God sees us. It is a form of self-knowledge. After all, God is the seer of all truth, the searcher of hearts. But in our self-knowledge, we also need to see that God loves us deeply, simultaneously seeing our faults, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and spurring us on to our best self. A further word connected to the word humility is the word humus, not hummus, humus. Okay. Humus, the soil. Farmers know the value of manure as the humus that nurtures growth. We are called to live close to the earth, to see that our vulnerabilities and hurts mirror those of our brothers and sisters. This humus and humility form the fertile soil in which love can grow. Paul's love grew in jail. It reached out to his brother, an enslaved person, and called him to love. 
my own experience of the humiliation in jail broke me open, showed how deeply we can all feel the need for mercy smack dab in the middle of our humiliations. So I close with the collect today. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts, for you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength. So you never forsake those who make boast of your mercy. Forsake us not, O Lord. Amen.